Welcome to the Humanizing Work Show podcast, where we dig into topics large and small related to our mission, which is to help make work more fit for humans and all of us humans more capable of doing great work. You can learn more about humanizing work at humanizingwork.com. Welcome to the Humanizing Work Mailbag, where we answer questions from the Humanizing Work community. If you've got a question that you'd like us to answer, email us at mailbag at humanizingwork.com and we'll see if we've got a good answer for you. This week's question is uh, one we hear all the time in especially intro workshops, uh, but often from clients that we're working with. And the question is, do we really need a retrospective every sprint? It seems like maybe we could do it less often and get some of that time back and not have to have that meeting all the time. So Peter, do we really need a retro every sprint? I think this is a fair question. There's an agile principle, principle number 12, uh, that talks about at regular intervals, the team inspecting and adapting and making improvements, kind of this idea of continuously improving things. And <clears throat> if we're going to follow that principle, we should probably be doing regular retrospectives or some form of that. And I think as long as you're getting some minor improvement every single sprint, they're worth doing. Even if it's kind of a mediocre retro, it's probably still worth doing if you're getting some improvements. But there, I think, are two types of retrospectives in my experience. There are those, hey, we're, we're going to do another one. We might get a small minor improvement out of this. What I would consider kind of an iterative retrospective, where we're making improvements kind of within our current way of thinking our, or our set of beliefs and assumptions. I think where we see some real power for retrospectives is when we have kind of a breakthrough one. And I, I came across this quote from Stephen Covey that I'm going to paraphrase, not directly quote, but he said that every breakthrough includes breaking from some current way of thinking. So we make breakthroughs when we break from an old belief or behavior. And I think breakthrough retros start with challenging a, a belief we've held about how to work or a behavior that acts as, as if something is true. And I'm thinking about retrospectives that I've facilitated, and, and I'm, I'm re remembering a set of retrospectives on the very first team where I was a scrum master. This would have been around 2006. And I actually still have some burndown charts from those sprints because this was one of the pieces of data we were reviewing in those retrospectives. And we had been struggling with not being able to complete everything in a sprint. And this was a software development team. Uh, building a product for consumers. And in our team, what was happening is that we would run out of time to finish all the testing required to get something releasable at the end of a sprint. And the first few retrospectives we had on that were trying to improve within our current paradigm of how to work. So I think we tried something like, uh, let's have a feature complete date within the sprint uh, you know, uh, maybe a week before the sprint is over, stop developing new features, and then really focus in on testing. And that didn't work for us. And I don't remember the other things we tried, but we had had a few retros where we tried to just iterate on the current process and it didn't work. And then in sprint nine, I know that I, as the facilitator, was kind of frustrated that we hadn't been able to break through. And it was really the big thing that we were trying to figure out. And we had a paradigm shift in that retrospective. And I do remember the question that was asked, which is, uh, as we got into discussing why we always run out of time for testing, the core conflict there was that 
developers would be working on their code, they'd be working on their code, and then towards the end of the sprint, a whole bunch of changes would come in. And so no matter how late we did that, there was still kind of this overwhelming amount of testing required. And I remember somebody, and I don't remember who, but I remember somebody saying, well, what if just every time a developer made a change to the code, we just asked ourselves, how could we test that through the UI? How could we test that little change? And there was some pushback on that saying, well, you know, if, if I expose that and testers get it early, then they're just going to write bugs on the parts that I'm not done with yet. And I said, well, okay, well, what if we didn't do that? What if you said, this is what's testable now, just test that piece of it. And we agreed to try that for the next sprint. We'll add the images of those three burndown charts to the episode page. So check that out at humanizingwork.com. Go to the Humanizing Work Show and find this episode to check that out. Sprint nine you can look at this burndown where it's just nice and smooth and everything actually gets done. And if you compare that to the previous two sprints, you can see there was always this tale of undone work. That type of a breakthrough only happened for two reasons. Number one, we kept trying. If we hadn't had a retro every sprint, if we had given up and said, ah, this isn't working for us, let's skip the retro this, this month, we would not have gotten to this breakthrough. But number two, we kept at it and challenged our paradigm for how we work, this assumption that we need to get all the development done and then hand that off to testing in order for it to work well. So we challenged that assumption. We kind of discovered our own version of vertical slicing, which we now know is just this keystone habit for any effect, uh, effective Agile team. So it was worth it to us, even though it took us nine sprints to get there. I think that idea of calibrating your expectations and not having every retrospective be the breakthrough, but look for those sometimes is really helpful. Um, I think your, your answer assumes a basic level of retrospective facilitation competence. And I, I don't want to blow by that. Um, you know, as long as you're having some improvement in each retrospective, it's worth doing. Um, I wonder if the person who asked us this question is feeling like we're never actually having any improvement in our retrospectives. And in that case, I think the answer is yes, partly calibrate your expectations and expect small changes frequently, um, but also improve how you facilitate your retrospectives. And sometimes this is structural. The most common default retro approach that people do, what worked, what didn't, what should we change, uh, really solicits uh, interpretations and proposed improvements. And all the low-hanging fruit that people can come up with independently gets taken care of pretty early on a team. Um, ironically, when it feels like this isn't working and we're spending too much time collecting them, I see teams go to, well, let's submit those asynchronously, and then we can just talk about them in the meeting. So you move from, uh, we have a little bit of shared experience to talk about, to now we're not going to talk about it at all, and we're going to go straight to the suggestion box kind of retro, which really limits you just to the most obvious things. So there are things like the, the whole format that you use for your retrospective that allow a group to do more um, pooling their shared data and do some deep thinking about it together that produces a better outcome. And we've seen these patterns enough that we created an online course called Facilitating Effective Retrospectives that answers these and a range of other issues that we and our clients have experienced over the decades of facilitating and being in and coaching retrospectives. So we'll link to that in the show notes. And if you want to level up your retrospective skills and uh, really understand how to make the most of this so that you look forward to it every sprint and don't find yourself and your team asking, uh, do we have to do it again? But 
I'm so glad we get this chance to make things better. Um, check out that course. It's in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and want more content like this, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast and rate it on your favorite podcasting platform. We'd love it if you shared the podcast with friends, family, and coworkers that you think might benefit from learning more about how to make work more fit for humans and humans more capable of doing great work. If you want help humanizing your work, you can find out about our products and services at humanizingwork.com. We spend much of our lives working, so let's make that investment meaningful for us and all of the people connected to it.